This is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. My guest this week is Kyle Bunting, the founder of the decorative hide rug company that bears his name. Kyle began his business in 2001, and the product took the market by storm. Soon, his inventive creations were in show houses, magazines, and the best showrooms across the country. But recently, Kyle made the decision to pull out of all representation and sell directly to designers. We discussed the story behind his unique company, his frustrations with the showroom model, and the opportunities and challenges of going independent. Were you planning to attend High Point Market this spring? Well, have no fear, because this time around, Universal Furniture is bringing High Point Market to you. Their virtual market experience will feature a series of digital collection walkthroughs, 360-degree virtual tours, and even a virtual cocktail party that promises to keep us all connected during this trying time. To sign up now for these exclusive events, visit universalfurniture.com slash virtualmarket. Or follow Universal on Instagram at, at @UniversalToTheTrade for more information. This podcast has been sponsored by trade preferred textile brand Rebecca Atwood Designs. Rebecca's collection of wallpaper, fabric by the yard, ready-made pillows, and bedding are designed to bring calm and happiness into the home. Focused on the art of making, each design is grounded in Rebecca's studio practice, from a painting in her sketchbook to marbling paper. For more information and to become a trade partner, visit RebeccaAtwood.com. Mention BOH when prompted during your trade application for a surprise gift. And now, on with the show. Hi, Kyle. What's going on, Dennis? How are you doing? How are you holding up in all this? Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Wait, what? Has something changed? <laughs> Is something different? <laughs> well, well, we'll get to all of that. We'll get to all of that. But sure. Uh, but but this is a conversation I, we've been wanting to have for a long time. I, I was hoping we were going to get the opportunity to sit down in person, but I am I am glad that we are connected remotely. Where is a good place for us to start with regards to sort of what drew you into the business originally? You know, it's a it's a well worn story, but uh, it's been well worn because it's a good one. Um, I uh, had been working on a place in San Francisco, and at the time, um, Agnes Bourne, which was the showroom that became uh, DeSouza Hughes, which sure. is, as we all know, one of one of our premier showrooms in one the of, United States. One of They're our just, best. Yeah, one of our absolute best. Eric and, yeah, and Jeffrey sure. are just fantastic entrepreneurs and, and business business people as well as people. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I was... Um, Going through the process, I had bought a Christopher Farr carpet from the showroom for my own personal residence. And uh, I remember working through all these couture selections by visiting a design center, being a little overwhelmed at the product assortment, but being intrigued by the process. I just thought it was an amazing business full of beauty and opportunity. And I think being a client myself created familiarity with um, the way design works. And I, th- I think put a, put a match on that passion. Ironically, it was Chris's carpet reflected in my personal residence against a piece of 
hide art that my father had created that were in the same room that, um, to show you how bright I am, had been in the same room for months and months and months, right? <laughs> and I had never kind of put the two pieces together. Hey, wait a second. But, uh, but one night, um, kind of one of those inspirational moments that it doesn't make us great and it doesn't make us geniuses. It probably makes us lucky, you know, that old adage about being prepared when opportunity strikes. Sure. Um, I was just in the right mind frame at the right time to realize, hey, wait a second. What if we did custom decorative carpets, but we did them in hide? Hmm. Hmm. That would probably be really beautiful. And um, people a lot of times tell us, you know, you guys created an entire category in floor coverings. I mean, you know, nobody would ever seen this before. And it's kind of the only time I I ever step forward and, you know, pat ourselves on the back a little bit and go, I, I do take ownership of that. We know we created this thing. And <laughs> well, we and, and we remind us, that. remind us exactly the, the, the time frame here. This happened in August of 2001. Um, I was inspired oh, okay. to create the business. I jumped on a plane less than two weeks later and flew across country and saw my parents and said, look, show me how you do this. And my dad pulled out some old tools and said, now, let me get this straight. You want to do something and hide that thing I did back in the 70s? You know, explain this again. <laughs> just, just trust me to show me how the technique. And uh, I returned to San Francisco and rented a studio space and started making prototypes. And uh, about two weeks later, 9-11 hit and uh, turned our world upside down again, those of us that remember it. Of and, course. Uh, but I do think gave me the focus studio time to... Uh, continue with our prototypes. And uh, a few months later, we were at the uh, French Decorator Show House in New York. And mm. some designers saw the product in the space and said, that's pretty cool. Tell me about it. And uh, we were off to the races. Well, I I exactly. And, and describe for listeners who might not be familiar with your product, exactly what it is you, what it is you make and, and what's so special about it. You know, our business is pretty straightforward. We're a, a specialist in all things that are decorative and hide. Um, our tagline tends to say it all. We 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 created the moniker the extraordinary and hide. You know, about 15 years ago, and we've carried it ever since. Uh, we're primarily a uh, custom decorative carpet co company for designers. So we make decorative uh, hide carpets. We do decorative wall coverings murals and artwork. And we're also in the hide upholstery business and anything in between. Uh, we've made furry dice for 70s vans <laughs> and we've made cushions for banquettes and uh, we've made coasters and we've made... Uh, Tabletop so where you're the man to call. You're the man to call for the for the for the hide. Yeah, I used to joke and say, you remember the old days where you had like those Rolodex cards? You'd print out your business card and it'd have those little notches, and you could kind of drop it in a Rolodex. And you know, yes. For some of your younger listeners, they're going to be what the hell's Rolodex, right? But uh, <laughs> we used to think we would just make them out of hide and put our name on the back, and 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 that would be sufficient. But uh, instead, we do that in presentations now. We're and it, it it helps us a little bit. We just try to communicate with designers. You know what height is, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, if you ever want to do anything with it, call us. We're absolutely right. the very best in the world at it. And uh, start with us and you won't make a mistake. 
And uh, we've grown the business around that. And, and that's been a, a, a successful and simplistic message for us. So it sounds like there was interest right from the start at the, at the French show house. Where did you, where did you go from there? And, and how did you start to connect with, with other designers? One of the things we did that we, we, in retrospect was, was probably wise was we, we made carpets and we put them on the showroom floors so that designers could see the product hmm. at the time very few showrooms represented carpet lines. Um, they were furniture, lighting, and textiles. Right. So when we approached a showroom and said, here's a carpet, we found that a lot of the showrooms were borrowing carpets from like rug galleries in the design centers or had relationships with people that would put their product in there and they put, you know, a little pop tent that said, you know, rugs provided by so-and-so and sweet XYZ. Very few of them represented carpets. And so I think that we were a very attractive brand to some of those showrooms because we helped them merchandise their spaces while at the same time giving them a product that they could um, they could actually generate revenue from. And so for us to put the product on the floor and say, if someone says they like this, tell them um, here's how we do it and <laughs> call, call Kyle and talk to him and he'll make it, he'll, he'll figure it out for you. Yeah. And I think, I think that that's what kind of gave us our, our underpinnings of having a sales and ser- and design and service focused support team. But it was really interesting. Um, we, we stumbled upon a, a formula that was 88 net per square foot, any pattern, any size, any colors. And we told the showrooms, that's the story. Show them the product and tell them that. Tell them that. And when okay. somebody's interested, call me. Right. I think the trick was you couldn't necessarily skew the business and still scale it. Mm-hmm. But as long as you were very efficient in your service, you could scale it quickly because we knew the bottom line was give designers what they need. In other words, if you called and said, it's Thursday afternoon, I got this project, I'm going to quote it, et cetera, what do we do? We gave them everything they needed to quote it and sample it. And typically put we put it in their hands, including strike-offs, within 48 to 72 hours. So it, so it sounds as if you really learned the the language of of designers and and what they what they needed and you were able to to turn it around pretty quickly for them. We were in a good place because we kind of didn't know. Right. I right. mean, we knew our own product. We were um, good at asking questions and, and listening. The the success we had with our showroom partners was based a lot on the idea of evangelize the product, get them excited about it, use your third party, you know, relationship with those clients to get them really excited about it. Um, and then let us take it from there. And then on your end, facilitate the commerce because it's really hard to have another voice in the chain of creative command. Mm -hmm. It was a lot easier for us to steer that process. Um, I can remember, um, one of Eric and Jeffrey's reps, DeSosa Hughes, who will remain nameless, um, used to tell me this is such an easy product to sell because of all the service you guys deliver. What I do is I just walk in and say, 
if you buy this, it'll be the trophy in the room. It's hmm. going to be the one thing that jumps out and you're going to really, really be glad you did it. And if you're turned on about that, let's connect you with Kyle and his team to figure out exactly how to execute that. And then we'll make sure it happens. And I think that one, two was what made us successful um, when we came out of the gates with our, our showroom partners. And, and it was, it was really, um, it was really pretty exciting time. And we wouldn't have became the brand we are today um, without in part that help. No, yeah. no question about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So as you, as you started to expand across the country, where, where else did you, did you go into early on? I got married in Hawaii in uh, October of uh, 2002. Yes, about 18 months after I started the business. And um, never never bashful about taking everything on at one time. Are sure, it seems like the perfect time. <laughs> sure. Um, Jump right and in. I moved, yeah, and I moved uh, to Dallas and then back to the Bay Area and then back to Austin. So anyway, wow. but, um, okay. but uh, I got married in, um, in 2002 and... Uh, the band that uh, my uh, former father-in-law hired to do the music at my wedding actually was a guy named Hunter Sullivan from Dallas, Texas, who I ended up kind of getting to know through the process. And Hunter one day and telling him what I do and showing him what I do says, hey, uh, you know, I know these two people. Um, I do their <laughs> Christmas party in Dallas. Their names are uh, David and Ann Sutherland. Have you ever heard of them? <laughs> and I, yeah. said, uh, I said, nope, I have no idea who no, you're talking no, about. I and I meant it. I, I, I didn't know at the time. So, so those, those names didn't mean anything to you at the time? They meant nothing to me. I okay. said, well, we ought to introduce you okay. to these two. I mean, this is like, yeah. you know, 03 or 04. Right. Uh, Hunter introduces me to David. And David says, well, you know, maybe we could do something for you out in L.A. and here in Texas. Let's maybe do some business together. He says, call my showroom manager and introduce yourself. I said, what's his name? He says, Stephen Toby. I said, you've got to be kidding. I went to college <laughs> with Stephen Toby. We used to study together. I know him like the back of my hand. Wow. <laughs> and um, called Stephen. And next thing you know, within um, a few months, David and Ann had taken on the line in Chicago, Dallas, Houston, and Los Angeles. And then, uh, you know, a few years later, you know, Holly picked us up and, um, in New York. Holly um, Hunt. Yeah. Yes, she did. And, uh, and in Minneapolis. And then uh, David picked us up in Florida. We joined a handful of independents and uh, uh, John Brooks got us for Scottsdale and Denver. Um, and we joined um, a few different showrooms, ultimately ended up with uh, R. Hughes, who I adore in Atlanta. Mm. And right. our, our, Lucky our, our patchwork, yes, our patchwork uh, quilt of representation um, came into place in a, a few other international markets as well. And, and by, you know, within four years, uh, four to five years of the origin of the product, we were fully represented um, throughout North America. So in the early days, the, the multi-line showrooms, all of the names that we've just rattled off, they all were such an important part of introducing you to the design community. You, you you were getting exposed to to customers that you to, to clients that you never would have had on your on your own because of the of the relationships that that these showrooms had had developed over the over the years. Fair to, fair to say? Uh, actually, unfair to say. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I think that, um, and the reason I say unfair to say because the the question had the the scent of 
of that those relationships occurred in a vacuum, right? We did a couple of things that that really shifted the tilt in all of our favor, meaning ourselves and the showroom um, early on that I think were really important to mention. We bought a ton of advertising and marketing. We received a ton of press because the product and kind of it was new and interesting and exciting. Right. And we were very committed from the beginning to establishing an important brand in the design space. And we spent a lot of money and a lot of time and effort doing that. So designers using the pull strategy came into the showroom to find the, the product. At the same time, the showroom had designers coming in who discovered it, who maybe are promotions, uh, which were pretty promotional. So I can't imagine how they escaped us. Um, <laughs> but I think they got exposed to it there we probably benefited more than the showrooms did about getting to know new designers because they knew most everybody anyway. But I think we carried equal weight in making sure those designers knew what Kyle Bunting could do, and we all benefited from it handsomely. Well, and I, th- and I think that's such an important point, uh, and, I, and I'm so glad that you raised it in the way that you did because, of course, no company should expect to just be able to leave their product in the hands of somebody else and then, and then that's that and, and off they, they go. So the, the fact that you were working as, as hard as you, as you were, uh, both on the marketing side and on the, on the internal sales side, is, is vitally important and, and what helped you to to be as, as successful. And as you say, because the product was so, so innovative, it was getting a lot of editorial coverage. Uh, and, uh, and you were, and you were, you were sort of a, a charismatic figure. And, and, and so people liked seeing and hearing from, from you as, as well. Fair, fair to say? Uh, yeah, my team wasn't uh, hesitant to, uh, you know, <laughs> spin the spin the knob on the back of the the monkey and push him out there and tell him to go do his part. Right. Uh, yes. Yes. Not 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 no. that the monkey didn't no. didn't like to collect his bananas. He was pretty happy doing it. Uh, you were you were you were very good for the brand. You were very good for the uh, brand, and you I got it just, and you got it out there. <laughs> well, let's just say I don't know how good I was for it, but I was comfortable uh, wearing the hat I was charged yes. to wear. But right, uh, well, and and not uh, everybody is, and not everybody is comfortable with sort of coming out in in front that way. But it was it was Kyle Bunting, and people wanted to see Kyle Bunting, and and uh, and so they they got to, and that was that was an important part of it. Um, but I think you're I think you're right that it does take a take a village uh, when it comes to sort of making this whole sort of multi-line partnership uh, work successfully. Uh, and uh, where I, where I know we're, we're going to go soon is, is your decision to, to think about making some, some, some changes. We're taking a quick break to remind you about Rebecca Atwood's trade program, which offers discounts for designers on their purchase of wallpaper, printed, woven, and embroidered fabrics, and more. Rebecca Atwood offers a wide range of fabric and wallpaper colors, as well as custom color, ground, and commercial capabilities. To become a trade account and to receive complimentary swatches, visit RebeccaAtwood.com. Mention BOH when prompted during your trade application for a surprise gift. And now, back to the show. So tell me where we are sort of timeline-wise in the, in the business uh, when, we, when we start to think about maybe we, we want to try some, some other things. You know, I can remember when, um, you know, the economy got upended and, and, you know, 
seven, eight, and nine, and there were those murky years when the housing crisis hit. And, you know, the internet was really coming into its own as a medium to potentially buy product or at very least, you know, look around and see what else was out there. And I can remember all the, you know, the trade business is over. It's all going to get dismantled, you know. A is going to take over. B is going to take over. R right, the sky was falling. The sky was falling. This is the absolutely. And, and I and I was I was someone who thought the the business would change quicker than it did, but I didn't think it would necessarily end. And I am, you know, pleasantly surprised uh, because I think showrooms provide a vital function that showrooms still exist and are are still important to our industry. I just thought that they would evolve a lot quicker than they have. I started thinking that around 8 and 9, okay. you know, 2010 and by 2015 seeing it maybe take some baby steps. It wasn't disappointing necessarily. It was just kind of surprising that it wasn't evolving more quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. I think during that time, uh, we started picking up on some cues from the market that I that I think in retrospect are um, the things that guided us towards ultimately making the decision we made. We glossed over you sort of referred to 2007, 2008, 2009 as a murky time. Was, was, was that a devastating time for you? Was that it? Was that a or, or, or describe for me just quickly sort of how those few years during what we what we thought was going to be the, the great financial crisis of our of our time? Uh, little did we little did we know what was waiting for us. But we we had um, we had two really interesting things happen um, during that what we look at is kind of like an 18 month period. Um, it, it was kind of compressed for us. Uh, we went from doubling the business every year to only growing about 15% one year. Mm-hmm. And, and then we went right back to a high growth, um, trajectory in, in 09. So we knew we, we had a product that was unique and still at the early adopter stage of its life cycle. So we knew we had a lot of leg. If we were a more mature product or a more mature category, since we kind of created our own category, we would have been a lot more concerned because there would have been more competition and more people to up in the business. I think right. that was really important to us that we kept growing to okay. realize we had, you know, we kind of had the tiger by the tail. Mm-hmm. I think the second thing that happened was um, we were approached during the downturn by a handful of other companies to acquire the business. Okay. And those companies were interested in it for the basics of the business, but primarily for the brand. Mm-hmm. They thought you really created something and your brand is related almost in a, a generic capacity. You know, Xerox is a Xerox, right? This kind right. of thing. Sure. That it had value and, and hoping to swoop in and maybe, you know, pick it up while the economy was upside down. I guess we would consider a transaction, but it wasn't going to be on the cheap because we were still real early in this. And uh, I think those two things told us that we were, you know, ready to continue on and thrive, and we were going to be okay. And and we we really blew through it relatively unscathed 
Interesting. Okay, so so you so you came out of the financial crisis, and you were even more con- convinced that, that that there was so much run room for you is what you what you could grow the business to. Um, but you you said earlier that you were you were feeling like the like the industry wasn't evolving in the way that you hoped it would be, or 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 at the at the rate that you hoped it would be. Do, do I have that right? The way I would answer that is I'd kind of relate it back to, you know, when we were laughing about how, you know, they would just wind me up and say, you know, get out there and do your part. Right. <laughs> right. Is I think that, and this is where I I I feel sensitive to the showroom ownership experience because I've never sat in those shoes. Right. Right. I wonder if we were like the greatest brand they ever had are the worst brand they ever had because the problem with us was, and it's part of what made me, I, I think a good figurehead for the business was we just have so much um, unbridled passion and enthusiasm for what we do that we're like, what do you mean I can't come to New York and we could run around for three weeks and see a hundred clients and make presentations, you know, right. All month. <laughs> What do you mean you have other brands? Isn't this great? It's so much fun. Everybody loves it. <laughs> They're like, we kind of have a business to run. You know, we've got 20 lines. You can come once a quarter. How's that? Meet you in the middle. And I'm like, but, but, well, okay, well, I'll come up on my own and I'll tell you who I saw. I think that we were so, and are so enthusiastic and, and, and a little bit crazy about what we do, which is what you want in a brand. You want people that are just, not so about it. And I think that led us uh, in a way to kind of, you know, become who we were and, and, and maybe break a few rules along the way that, that ended up helping everybody. But uh, I don't know, I hope in retrospect, were were things that are appreciated and, and maybe didn't come off as if we were being disrespectful. We were only passionate. We should describe for listeners who who might not be familiar with how uh, uh, being a partner to a multi-line showroom works. Uh, but as you were just outlining, the showrooms uh, have have however many brands they have. They might have twenty. They might have thirty. I mean, Desusi Hughes and, and some of the others have an enormous number of of brands that they that they represent. And so, as a result, the the owners or the the representatives of those brands can only come uh, a handful of times a, a, a year to, to to visit each showroom, and and they have to carve out time, and they have to make appointments for you to go and see clients, and and um, and that I I gather sort of being contained within sort of some of those boundaries was was frustrating for you at at, at times. Do I? Do I understand that correctly? You know, there were times that it was wildly fulfilling and times that it was maddening. Mm-hmm. When you work with showrooms, you do a handful of things. Um, you know, clearly you uh, collect money and process invoices and figure out shipping addresses and you do the backroom blocking and tackling to make sure that nobody does something stupid, right? And right. not to demean that, but that's a primary function. Their showroom is in Chicago. They know the address. They know that that's correct. And you got the zip code and tell you where to send it and communicate they've been paid and it's okay to release the product. You know, all that is a, is a huge administrative function that's valuable, right? It's part of the value Absolutely. of the commissioning relationship, right? Mm-hmm. But, but when you're trying to do what happens in front of that, which is inspire someone to use the product, it's about, um, 
outreach efforts related to, you know, helping designers see what they can do in projects. And it's about merchandising the showroom. Those are the two things you're doing. And so in larger corporate showrooms like Holly Hunt, those merchandising efforts are centralized, which has pros and cons, right? In independent showrooms, it might be the ownership and or a rep with a design eye that you work with. It's a little more haphazard. Similarly, on the sales side, are you dealing with a senior VP of sales who organizes your appointments? Or are you calling a couple of reps and saying, hey, I was just in town and I saw these 10 people and they're about to send you some orders. It it, it really is about those two things. And I think to say sometimes we were frustrated would be accurate, but also to say in some of our relationships with, with some of our partners, we were just thrilled in either scenario. And I think brands like mine or other people who can relate to what it's like to be represented in a multi-line showroom, you're never satisfied. You can never get enough space. You can never get enough sales calls. You can never get enough business. And and ultimately, the lack of transparency into really where your business opportunities are and who's controlling that ultimately becomes the tipping point for, I think, a lot of brands on whether they can remain in that network or not. Ultimately, that's what became the tipping point for you. For Kyle Bunting, I think the tipping point became controlling our own destiny. Everything from controlling the message between ourselves and our customers, controlling the administrative procedure so that it has efficiency, and controlling the way we inspire people to the product. And, and I'll be candid, I, w- I do not know because I'm not a furniture maker how I would solve this problem if I made sofas, but I make carpets. And my ability to make a strike off in Austin, Texas this afternoon and put it in a FedEx box and have it on your desk tomorrow morning, as opposed to waiting for the showroom to select it and send it and to send some pomps to make sure you can see the other colors you can use or God forbid, waiting on someone in India or Nepal to get one back to you in three right. or four weeks right, is a competitive advantage that did not need a throttle. We just felt like we couldn't find partners that were willing to work creatively with us the way we wanted to work. And ultimately, all of those efforts were designed to grow the business of which we both would benefit. So for whatever reason, I think if I were to if I were to say that the modern showroom business has any Achilles heel, it 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 is perhaps whatever is in the structure of the model that makes it difficult to embrace some maybe more innovative ways to inspire designers than the traditional come to the showroom, put your product in and let us go get you orders. And mm-hmm. I just, I just, I just think that was, um, you know, for us, what, what, what was the key is, is that we just knew that we had to create the Kyle Bunting experience with as many people as possible, and that that experience was, no matter how great the personalities were, and no matter how efficient their systems, that experience was always going to be a little bit less 
when there were a few extra cooks in the kitchen. So earlier you were saying this is this is roughly 2015 where this is starting to sort of bubble up when you start think to that, think. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. I mean, a couple of things started happening in the business that I think were really important. And look, these are macro variables. And, and I say this very clearly. Holly Hunt nor David Sutherland, in my opinion, ever did anything nor any independent showroom to undermine my business. They're good people. They're ethical. They're very successful. They're friends. And I have all the respect in the world for both of them and for the companies that all the partners we were with led. I really do. Right. And Perennials, for example, Perennials Carpets is a wonderful and very successful product. But as soon as the Perennial Carpet product was in the Sutherland showrooms, our sales dropped significantly. Now, that doesn't mean they didn't pay attention to my product. I know they did. It just happened to be that a house brand was there and available. And maybe it's the overwhelming experience of you got a big perennials showroom within a showroom and it's just overwhelming and I want to try something new. And Mm -hmm. maybe we just weren't the, the cup of tea of the moment. I will never know. But I do know that it became harder for us to generate the business in that market we knew that was available to the brand when we were under the umbrella of a corporate brand that had its own category to grow. And and did that start to happen to you with with a lot of partners that you were with? Did did, did a lot of showrooms suddenly have a their own line or, or or some some house brand that you that you felt was coming in front of yours at times? I didn't ever feel like anyone was coming in front of us. I think we're a unique product and we stood on our own. Right. I'm just saying that prior to this, we kind of had a single share of voice. Mm-hmm. So we were the carpet on the floor that was unique. Now, if 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 a showroom for David Sutherland, for example, had 10 carpets on the floor and we were seven of them, now we were four and perennials was six. Normal, right? Fair right. even. Right. So one might say they were generous to me if 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 you really look at it. I'm and sure it they feel that way. Well, I don't know. I mean, look, I, I just think it was just a market macro yeah. dynamic that just changed the way our business operated. And it, and if if you're David and Ann, for example, maybe me leaving was like, hey, we opened up the whole space for our brand. It's going to be good for us. And maybe me leaving was good for me. You know, we'll never know because we didn't run a bunch of tests. We just acted because that's, you know, what we do. Mm. But I think that, I think that, you know, the corporate ownership of Holly Hunt and and whatever non-David and Ann ownership that became part of Sutherland Perennials, sure. I think had an impact. And I think as as other showrooms started experimenting in upholstery and textiles with their own brands, I think we started seeing that, you know, house brands were going to get more attention than third-party brands. And we were still unique and, and we were experiencing more competition, not, not much in the showroom space, but certainly externally from some of the design boxes. I think it just started showing us that the model that environment brought us, which was designers and exposure, was not going to be as attractive as it had been in the past. It's kind of like the the boiling cauldron, you know, like when did it finally blow over? Mm-hmm. And it and it and it kind of started blowing over for me when i started listening to the people that worked for me a little bit closer we hired sales people to be in service roles for orders 
So when a representative that worked for um, John Brooks in Denver called and said, you know, we have a client and here's what they want to do. Can I get some information? Let's quote it, sample it, et cetera. We service that business with a salesperson. When I went to that salesperson and said, hey, we just got a call from a designer in Calgary where we don't have a showroom, call them and sell them a carpet. They would call and manage those orders just like a rep would. So we had a kind of, we had a, a, a dual threat team that could sell and understood how to sell the product, but also could service deal flow. And so they really had their pulse on the business better than, in, in a lot of ways, I could have. And for years, they told me, love the showroom, love the relationship, love the exposure, but we think we can do this on our own. Ultimately, listening to those voices and also observing some of the macro trends in the business, having a few opportunities in front of us that validated that, um, ultimately led to us making the decision to, uh, you know, uh, leave the showroom comfort. And like you said earlier, we were with the best of the best, trying to Absolutely. do something a little differently. We had a, an intermittent sojourn with Edelman that you're familiar with, yes. uh, which, which ultimately we decided, you know, we're going to walk away from the whole idea and try to do this differently on our own. We're taking a quick break from the show to hear from one of our sponsors. This spring, Universal Furniture is bringing High Point Market to you. That's right, Universal Furniture is thrilled to introduce fun and interactive ways to browse and shop for product from the comfort of your own home, including new special order upholstery offerings. With hundreds of different fabrics to choose from, designers like you will be able to unleash your imagination with Universal like never before. To stay updated on all virtual market-related events, Follow Universal on Instagram at at Universal to the trade or visit universalfurniture.com slash virtual market for more information today. And now back to the show. And what were you thinking your new model would, would look like? So you were going to leave all of these multi-line showrooms and how were people going to see and experience Kyle Bunting in the future? We had a... um um you know, a pretty good run of selling a lot of product to a lot of people. And we had generated relationships by having the dialogue with those designers that was necessary to determine exactly what and how they wanted to use our product. And we had a really great database. We thought, you know what? We've got a pretty good pipeline of work to transition with. We've got a talented group of people. We control the manufacturing completely because those of you know your listeners that may not know, we manufacture everything in a in a twenty thousand square foot facility in Austin, Texas. We're centrally located. We have reasonably low operating costs. We got passionate employees who believe in incentive based compensation. So we really had everything to gain. The runway was fairly clear. Mm. We, we knew that if we worked hard and we called our clients and we marketed the message to say, hey, we're independent now, we want to open your account here directly and we're ready to work with you, we think um, we think we can be successful at it. Anecdotally, I think uh, 99 out of 100 told us 
you know, thank God, what took you so long? And, really? Uh, and it, I think me, really, meaning what? Where, where was that coming from? Where I think it was coming from was the inherent inefficiency of working through a filter on the specification. It, 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 it doesn't matter how passionate you are and how productive you are. If you're in a third-party relationship in a removed metro area and you're trying to communicate a variety of design changes and decisions back and forth, well, they want a little bit more of this color there and a little bit less of that color there. And can you change the rendering? And can we get another sample? Because we have all four of the five, but we lost the periwinkle one. The the chain of command in that communication ultimately breaks down and becomes maddening. This is not dirty laundry, but it just it just has to be said. We ended our last distribution relationship over this primary fact. Our approach was this. Let's co-attack the market and find as much opportunity as possible. And when we find that opportunity, we will service the business 100% at our expense until they're ready to buy and then you collect the money. That's the model for growth. For reasons, as I've said before, that are of their own um, knowledge. Like I said, I don't sit in their shoes. I can't relate. The, the showroom or, owners, right? The showroom, yeah. yeah. Operating that way didn't yeah. make sense. I was thinking if a showroom, if you said, hey, give me every client you have in Des Moines, because I'm going to be in Des Moines for a wedding next week, and I want to go see a bunch of clients, and I'll go out there and, and do it, the r- result would be, well, hold on a second. Now, Iowa's our territory, and we need a little time to plan this because we only go to Des Moines twice a year, and and those are our clients. Right. And I think right. you know every brand that is represented by someone else can relate to the first time they maybe do something direct with a client, help them out, pick up the phone, thank them. And they get that email that says, hey, now this is how we do business. And, and let me remind you, those are our clients. And they're right, but they're not saying our and including us. They mean their clients. Yeah. yeah. And, and that is the essence of the thing, if you will. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and all we ever wanted to do was like innovate and bring that passion forward and grow the business and partner. And, and it just became ultimately, you know, difficult to do that on our own. I guess it's like, um, somebody once told me, they go, Hey, you, you, you kind of know what it's like when like one of those guys leaves a band and goes and does a solo album, right? Like you just got this itch. You got to go scratch it. I'm like, yeah. I mean, if I knew how to play chopsticks on a piano, I could use that analogy, but I am absolutely toned down. Love music with all my heart, but I can't right. play a damn thing. But, but yeah, yeah I get it. it. It's like we couldn't exercise everything the brand was about, the passion our team had for it. And, and, be truly as prolific as yes. we knew we could be yes. with these kind of constrained models. We just wanted to blow it up in a positive way and go, let's find ways to innovate. And maybe you can use that with your other brands. Let's go grow the business because I truly believe there is 
significantly more opportunity for every single brand in this business than is being tapped right now. And I think a little bit of that is about the way that we approach finding projects and generating revenue because the products are the very best in the world and, and, and the best available to anyone, but maybe they're just not getting exposed as they should be. And all trends are going against, right? Work from home, uh, traffic, sustainability, don't, you know, don't drive into the city and park and go to the showroom and, you know, send it to me as a sample. I mean, every single trend you have says, start trying to work a little differently. And uh, it was for us something we, we, we didn't feel like we could grow if we stayed in that model. And so far, what's been the result? It's a whole lot more expensive than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> okay. So tell me, how, tell me how it ends up being more expensive for you. You know, I think it's uh, like a tale of two cities, right? There's always going to be something great and something bad. Um, it's a lot more expensive in that the operational cost of uh, traveling to market to see clients are higher because you're doing it more frequently. Mm-hmm. The uh, sampling cost of sending out memos as opposed to a designer walking into the showroom and grabbing a handful are more expensive. The commissions associated with representatives that are now responsible for that revenue that you pay as opposed to the showroom paying them are higher. And I think you also um, you deal with the operational increase in that you just need more people to manage the business, right? Just takes yeah. a lot more bodies. Right. Now – the positive side uh, is, you know, clearly you, you know, you retain the commission that otherwise went to, you know, someone else. So it does give you some operating capital to cover some of those costs. Um, I'd like to say that I've figured out for those costs to be a lot less than that commission, <laughs> so that <laughs> so that we could be the profitable component of my uh, my speech earlier. But um, right. uh, that has so far pro. Proved to be a little bit elusive, but we're, okay. we're we are uh, we're on track to maybe figure it out. Certainly, current circumstances notwithstanding, uh, we're looking at it long term and trying to figure out what it really means. Yeah, but I think that um, we uh, we've learned that we now control the message with our clients, and so when we do one project, that designer understands it, and and they understand it for life. That business development or sales effort builds a relationship and an understanding and a knowledge with the client that we now own instead of somebody else. You know, proportionately, the amount of time and energy that we expend effectively ends up becoming a marketing and advertising budget because one-on-one, our reps every single day are reaching out to our customers and to prospects and saying, you know, we're Kyle Bunning and this is what we do. I could I can call 25 customers that are on the list of whoever received a product in the last 30 days and thank them all and ask them about their business and try to get to know them and and when you know the leader of a company goes out of their way to do that to sell tell those customers that they're important has a positive impact it's a lot different to do that when there's you know someone else between you and the message and I think that's uh become something that we've really uh, embraced as the primary reason why we did it. We we control the message between our customers and our brand. So a, a, as horrible as this current time is and 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 is is going to continue to to be for for some time it, it seems it sounds as though you are 
feeling like you're in a, a fortunate position that all of this has happened for you and you have the level of control that you do now uh, to to make decisions about how you communicate with clients directly and and to and to hold tight to those relationships that you've that you've built over the years uh, and and really to to really sort of be in control of, of, of your destiny regardless of what happens with these other showrooms. I don't think that, um, you know, we would have received the type of response we've received from our clients over the past, you know, 20 days, had we not taken on, um, you know, this initiative, you know, it's almost cliche to say, Hey, we're in this together. Right. And Mm. it's it's a little trite to say, we're going to be great because you don't know that. But I think, it's um, the nature of realizing how much we need designers and designers need us has really come to the surface through this um, this dilemma or, or tragedy or you know whatever you want to call it. it, it it's all bad, <laughs> okay? Whatever you want to call it, it's not good. But what has emerged is something really heartfelt and and interesting that I don't know that I had my finger on the pulse of prior. And that's the essence of the collaborative, almost strategic conversation between the designers and us about these are the ways we continue to do business. These are the priorities. These are the projects we need to finish. This is the one that's been put on hold. This is the one that said, I feel like I want to jump out of a window, so I don't know that we're going to actually make that carpet next summer. Mm. These are the kind of things that interpersonal relationship we've been able to establish between our brand and our our clients has enabled us to open a door to call and go, hey, I'm looking at all the stuff we're doing. I'm what's going on because we've got like, you know, five projects and 10 carpets. And some of those, you know, you told us you needed in May, some of them in July. Is any of that still happening? Do you need anything to support your efforts? Do we need to make some adjustments? How can we best service you? We were completely unaware of that information and didn't have that insight five years ago. You know, what, what we, really have have realized is is um you know we love each other and we care for one another and um that intimate relationship with the, between the brand and the designer is is um is what we're going to hang our hat on so looking back on multi-lines i have for many years thought of multi-line showrooms almost like incubators for hmm. small brands, yes, uh, and, and it it just seemed like a place where businesses could could grow, and perhaps grow to a certain level where they can go out on their own eventually. And we and we see it happen all the time. Uh, Philip Jeffries finally felt like they had a big enough market in in New York City. They they opened up their own showroom, leaving Holly Hunt after many, many years of obviously having great success. They just felt it was time. They were ready. Off they went. Uh, And that seems like a a reasonable model for 
the success of of multi line showrooms when when we when we think about the, the the future for them is 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 that a good way to think about it is is that how we should be looking at at multi line showrooms and the and the role they play in the future or or or, or what do you see what do you think I don't know if the answer is that's how it was or how it is or how it will be. Uh, I think the barrier to entry is lower with digital technology for introducing a brand. I think there are a lot of ways to expose designers and clients to what you can do aside from the merchandising component available and the sales network of a showroom. Still, there's something that doesn't um, replace the, you know, the the opportunity to touch and feel the product uh, in the showroom environment, which is is irreplaceable. So I don't know. I think it's a mixed bag. I, mm. I do think that for a long period of time, and the history that I benefited from, it was uh, an incubator that helped us build our brand that. As I said earlier, we might have emerged differently had we not gone there. Hmm. And I think uh, in more ways benefited us than than held us back. Um, I don't know if there'll be that way in the future or not. Uh, time will tell. My my hope is is that they'll continue to to curate interesting emerging design products, but maybe do it with an eye towards finding some new and innovative ways to inspire their clients on how they can use those products uh, that maybe they hadn't thought of before. And I hope when they do, I'll see it from the side and get to copy it because I'm, <laughs> I'm always looking for a good idea. And, uh, and I think, I, I think that the, I do think there's a lot of opportunity in that space with some really passionate and creative people to do something different. And I, uh, I hope they do, and I hope uh, all of us uh, all of us grow from it. I really do. Well, I do as well, and and I think that for many many years, uh, particularly with many of the partners that that you were with, designers came to showrooms to be inspired and 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 to discover new things and 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 to see some of the young talent that these showroom partners were bringing up. And I, and I hope that that will continue to happen. And I hope that design centers will continue to play an important role in inspiring designers. And we're going to come out of all of this uh, likely very transformed in our, in our thinking and, and how, we want to, how we want to gather and how we want to, uh, to, to, to learn and, and, and be inspired. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for people to, to get creative and 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 you're certainly one of those people that we'll be looking to 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 see what how how you're going to to present yourself to to clients in the in the future. I hope that some of that inspiration translates to action. You know, every brand that's ever been in a multi-line environment knows there's so much value to being in a showroom, but the brands have ideas that even the showrooms probably never thought of about ways they could do things together to truly grow the whole. Everybody is trying to, to, to be the tide that lifts all boats. And I hope that, um, that that network, if you will, is, um, reimagined by a few and, uh, if not all, and, um, finds a way to, um, you know, come up with some new ways to do business because, uh, 
uh, I wouldn't want to be in the design business that didn't have a multi-line component. They bring so much value. Uh, for me personally in our brand, we just didn't fit into that environment because we wanted to do things a little bit differently. Who knows? Maybe we'll be back someday, but I think uh, I think the uh, they'd have to operate uh, a lot differently for us to feel comfortable um, going back into that space. Well, I, th- I think we're all going to be operating differently in the, in the coming weeks and 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 months. So, uh, and and I think to your point, people people might be much more open to to new ideas than than ever before. And and so I I, I agree with you. I'm 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 hopeful that a lot of new a lot of new thinking, uh, and and a lot of new uh, action is is put into to place. So let's, uh, let's hope so. <laughs> let's hope so. Let's hope so. Kyle, I, I want to thank you so much for, for making the time to, to talk with us. I, I really appreciate it. This is a great conversation. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And, uh, uh, on behalf of myself and, uh, everyone else that, uh, we consider colleagues, um, thank you for, uh, what you do, um, in your business, because, uh, there hasn't been a voice to kind of cover the the type of things you do and, uh, and more people than you are aware of are truly, um, appreciative of, uh, what you bring to our game. Well, I, 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 I love getting to hear that. Thank you so much, Kyle. I, I really appreciate that. And I, the business means so, so much to me. So I, I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, Thank you again for making the time. Uh, my guest has been Kyle Bunting, the founder of the brand that bears his name. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying these conversations, I hope you'll consider sharing the podcast with a friend or heading over to the iTunes store to leave us a review. It helps others to discover our show. We love your feedback. Please send us your thoughts at podcast at businessofhome.com. Our show was produced by Fred Nikolaus and Marina Felix and edited by Nina Pollock. I'm Dennis Scully. We'll see you next week.